Hello, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest. This is the Tuesday edition where we get a chance to talk with you about the Bible and its relevance for today, every Tuesday at 2. My name is Justin Doms. Uh, let me invite you to interact with us online. If you get a chance, you can go to BibleQuest.tv. We'd love to get your questions, your comments. Uh, this is a chance for us to study with you about the things that are of interest to you. Today we have with us Scott Smelser. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing well, Justin. And we might also ask our audience if they'd like to request what book we might go over next, because we don't always do a textual study. Sometimes we're on topical things. We have guests and talk about different things, but we've often been coming back to a textual study of Mark. We'll be finishing that today. So if you have a, a text that you'd really like to hear us go over, uh, please uh, feel free to submit it. And Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, today we are finishing up, Mark. We, we just saw Jesus crucified uh, last time, and we read briefly about his burial in Mark 15, 42 through 47. Uh, it was the uh, the day before the Sabbath day. So he's buried on Friday. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was dead, but Joseph had asked for the body, and they wrapped him in a shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut in the rock. And then there were two women, Mark tells us, Mary Magdalene, in Mark 15, 47, and uh, Mary, the mother of Joseph, uh, who saw where Jesus had been laid. Um, anything that you see we need to clarify before we jump into Mark 16? No. Well, just, right. just how sad it would have been to watch the lifeless body of Jesus be taken down from the cross, because it says Joseph took him down. So just envision that. The hand being undone, the arm falling, the, the body coming down, Joseph catching the weight, and how hopeless, hopeless. Yeah. Yeah. And anybody who's been in a room with death uh, sees the the shell of what used to be, and it's not just the person, but it's everything that you had hung on that person. Uh, we we sort of hang our our hopes and dreams and aspirations on other people sometimes, but certainly with the Messiah. Uh, and to see Jesus come down like this would have been devastating. I'd like to say one more thing about Joseph, and that's this. The apostles have been all in. They've made their mistakes. They've had attitudes that needed to be corrected. But when Jesus said, leave things and follow me, they left things and they followed me. And I think Peter meant it when he said, you know, I'll be willing to die when he thought Jesus would fight or resist or overcome. Nicodemus and Joseph were not all in. Nicodemus, John tells us, in secret. So like in John, when it says some of them believed but wouldn't admit it, they didn't want to keep that secret. Right. Nicodemus at first came by night, and then later, when he's standing with the Pharisees that are chastising the guards, saying, none of us believe in him. And Nicodemus doesn't go, I do. He said, well, judge him without hearing it. And they spit on him. Uh, are you also? And he, John doesn't record him saying anything. He may have, but if he didn't, that's not recorded. But then they both now step up. And so I think it's very interesting. Now, it may be that they have a little bit less to lose. Um, if anybody would thought they would be the next ones crucified, it might be Peter, James, John. Mm -hmm. So we'll grant that. 
But beyond that, I think Peter and the others had been all in, and then Jesus let this happen. Right. He shakes their faith and pulled back. Joseph and Nicodemus, I think one reason they show up is because they feel guilty and they know they had not been all in. Now it tells mm. us that John had not consented to their deed. So at the end, you know, he was not going along with it. But as as you see him die, it's like if you if you know you didn't do enough, and so now we have this flip situation that the most dedicated disciples have abandoned him and the weakest followers step up. I hadn't thought about perhaps the sense of guilt that Joseph and Nicodemus might feel here. Um, perhaps that's just one of those obvious things that I skipped over, but you know, they've been at the councils, they've been at the trial. Uh, and done things it, like saying, well, should we judge him before we hear him? But yeah. Bad, but they let an innocent man. They sent an innocent man to the cross. Uh, so how how sad, obviously, to see Jesus's dead body come down from the cross. Uh, but sad too that his disciples aren't there yeah. to bury him. Uh, and these guys now step up, and I think that's yeah. really commendable. That now yeah. they better late than never. Yeah, it, it says in verse forty three they took courage, or Joseph took courage to do yeah. this. So. Um, we don't know much about these guys, but they, they do stand up at the end. All right, let's look at 16, uh, Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. Uh, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. We'll continue reading the chapter in a moment, but this just kind of gets the first interaction with the empty tomb. What do you see? Oh, I think you're uh, you're muted there, Scott. Let's also notice this. We're breaking at the end of verse 8. That's as far as some of the earliest manuscripts go. Um, if you get past verse 8, you have four different type things. Some manuscripts have nothing past verse 8. And it's not because it's ripped off of something. Like if you look at Codex uh, Sinaitica, uh, it just gets to the end of verse 8, and it's just white blank page the rest of the way. Uh, it's getting kind of noisy here, so I'm going to mute, and why don't you discuss Verses one through eight, and I'll get back to the manuscript. Yeah, I think that that question is a super important question, um, and maybe different views on that. But yeah, verses one through eight. Uh, the the timing of this is of interest to me. Just the the culture that we're dealing with here is very different than our time. But it's the uh, 
it's after the Sabbath has passed. So we would usually think Sunday morning. Uh, that's not the way their calendar worked. So this would be after sunset on the Sabbath day, probably. So this is, you know, there are other things that have happened with, with Mark on this sort of thing. You've got a note on that, Scott. What do you think? Oh, hold on. I think you, you're muted again. Look where? Matthew 28. So, yeah, generally, the Sabbath ends at uh, sundown. But the way Matthew and Mark were treating it here, it, it is Sunday morning. Oh, oh I, I just mean when they actually go to buy the spices. Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. Yes. So so it seems to me, yeah, they, they go to see the tomb uh, Sunday morning. So our typical Sunday morning. Uh, but Mark includes this sort of preparation stage. Uh, but I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely the, the dawn of the first day of the week. Um, and in Luke, I think it says, I'm trying to get Luke open. Luke, as far as the spices, it reads, and my pages aren't cooperating with me. <laughs> um, he's buried in verse 53. This is Luke 23. And then verse 55, the women who had come with him saw the tomb, how the body was laid. They returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to commandment. But on the first day of the week, it early dawn, they came to the tomb. Yeah. Sorry for throwing us off there. Go ahead. No, 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 no that's right. Because I, I think that is interesting trying to figure out, because there are a lot of questions about the, the chronology of the resurrection here. If you take the time, you can see how it fits. And actually, I think it's helpful that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record slight variations. Because if this were a conspiracy, you would see they're just saying the exact same thing. Um, if all the witnesses have the same story, and there's been too much collaboration, they're in cahoots, it, they're spinning a yarn. Uh, but instead, there are slight variations that can sync up if we take the time to sync them up. And so back in Mark 1, for example, when Jesus is healing in the synagogue uh, in verse 21, it's on the Sabbath day. And then later, after sundown in verse 32, uh, people are coming out to him to be healed. So they're keeping the Sabbath. But, but the Sabbath ends at sundown. So you see the same kind of thing here in Mark 16. But then they come to the tomb, and uh, it's not what they expected. Because in verse 3, the, the stone uh, is going to be at the entrance. Who's going to roll it away? But it's already been rolled away, and there's this young fella sitting there. <laughs> um, you know, who are you seeking? Uh, don't be alarmed, which is what the angels always say. Don't be afraid. Yeah. And that's interesting because up till now, everybody's been afraid. Um, the Pharisees, when he can't, comes to town and he's doing the triumphal entry, they say, look, you prevail nothing. The world's gone after him. Uh, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, you know, if we don't do something, you know, uh, the Romans are going to come destroy our nation. We, we, we've got to do something. Pilate's afraid. You know, his wife had a dream. He says, don't have anything to do with him. Uh, and then Mark or whoever the young man is runs away afraid. The disciples are hiding in a locked door afraid. Peter is saying he doesn't even know him afraid. And of course, it would have been frightening to see that Jesus is about to be crucified. And that's all about to be flipped to joy. 
Yeah, if 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 they will, uh, if they will believe it, because <laughs> because they're going to yeah. scatter from the tomb initially, afraid. Yeah. Um, fear is one of those uh, primal human responses uh, to yeah. things that are different than what we expected. So we've seen fear throughout the Gospel of Mark. It's in all the Gospels at this point, but yeah. uh, Mark seems to really highlight this idea of fear. So uh, he knows who they're seeking: Jesus of Nazareth. He's crucified. So it's interesting. He verifies, the angel verifies that Jesus had been killed. He is now risen. Um, you can go in, you can check out where they laid him. And now once you go and tell his disciples and Peter, which is interesting, his disciples and Peter. Um, I don't know, do you have any thoughts about why he would specify Peter? You got three guys that are the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And Peter is the most prominent by far in all the Gospels. If you, if you chart out the times Peter is mentioned, all the others together in the Gospels don't match up. Uh, but he's also the one that really, really blew it. Everybody just ran. Peter curses, you know, that he doesn't, you know, swears, you know, oaths and stuff that he, he doesn't even know jesus and he's he blew it and he's about to have a chance to be rebuilt yeah it, it, it's almost like if these women come back and say jesus is sending for his disciples peter might go that's not me <laughs> you know I, i'm not worthy to be his disciple anymore i i took tail and ran yeah. Uh, and so, so you make sure you get Peter and, and bring them uh, to Galilee. Um, I'll be there. You know, Jesus sends to this angel. You know, he's going to be there just as he told you. So they flee. There's trembling. There's astonishment. Uh, and at first, they don't tell anyone. Now, some manuscripts, as you pointed out, have this ending here. And I'll just say, um, if the text did end here, and I don't think that it does, uh, I think there's a lot of good evidence that it doesn't end here. But if it did, you'd already have the crucifixion, you'd have the empty tomb, and you'd have the uh, the commission, you know, meeting Jesus uh, in Galilee. So you'd still have all those pieces. And if if Mark is emphasizing this fearful response, then this is an interesting ending to the Gospel of Mark. You know, it's sort of hangs with a question are we going to uh, know about the resurrection of jesus and be silent and fearful too or are we going to speak out and share that news i think it makes for an interesting ending but it's not the end because he's going to continue on and you mentioned the codex sinaiticus and this large gap that's there why why do you suppose they left a gap like that uh well like on my bible right here sometimes it the well this one doesn't but it's the end, well, yeah, right there. At the end of Nahum, there's just a gap right there instead of starting the next book. On, in Sinaiticus, it's, uh, it's a larger gap, hmm. but it ends there. Vaticanus is a, the same way. Uh, and I, I'd like to talk about the manuscript endings a little bit more, but let's touch on a couple things before we get to that. One is, you've already mentioned the differences 
in the, the gospel. So let's note a, a few of those and just make a few brief comments. One, this has Mary, uh, the mother of James, and Salome and Mary Magdalene. That's not all the women there were. Luke mentions there's more, and it mentions Joanna, uh, who was one of the ones that helped actually support Jesus. Um, in John, Mary Magdalene gets there while it's still dark. Right here, they get there uh, when the sun had risen. Um, in Matthew, if you put them side by side, you'll see a lot of differences. But if you compare them and let the ones with more detail provide the more detail and take the others as summaries, uh, from John, we can tell Mary went twice. Hmm. Okay. She got there early before the sun was up and thought somebody had stolen the body, ran back and talked to Peter and, and John. Then Peter okay. and John run, and then she comes, but they outran her. By the second time she gets there, I think the sun is up. Um, I would reconstruct it is that the women, perhaps, instead of all walking, and of course, the second time, Mary Magdalene is not going to be surprised the stones rolled away because she would have seen it all the first mm. time. Um, I would reconstruct it maybe something like this. Uh, it's around dawn that they're going. They, they're not necessarily all staying at the same house in Jerusalem. So suppose they have agreed, let's go to the tomb early Sunday morning around dawn. Mary was the first one there and turns and runs away maybe before the other women get there. And then the other women come and then Mary gets there and you have kind of an abbreviated form of it in Matthew and Mark in a more detailed thing. In John. Mm. One other distinction, and there's more, in Mark, it's tell them they'll see me in Galilee. In Matthew, tell them they'll see me in Galilee. And then they see him in Galilee. In Luke, it's they see him that day in Jerusalem, and he tells them, don't leave the city. So in Luke, they see him in the city that day, and he says, don't leave the city, and they don't leave the city. In Matthew and Mark, tell them they'll see me in Galilee, but in John, they see him that day in Jerusalem, and then they later see him in Galilee, and then they're going to come back. He's going to see him apparently in Jerusalem again, and that may be when he says, now don't leave the city. So I would reconstruct it kind of like this. The women have agreed to meet. Some might be walking together, some might not be. They don't all get there at the same moment, um, uh, according to John. Uh, and then, um, and there's multiple visits by Mary Magdalene that morning. And then they're told, tell the disciples you see him in Galilee, but he does see them that day in Jerusalem. Then they go up and he sees them in Galilee, sees them somewhere, 500 brethren at once. That may be the mountain in Galilee. Comes back to Jerusalem, sees them again, and tells them, don't leave the city, stay in Jerusalem until the spirit comes. I would reconstruct it, something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's helpful to, and, and 
I know there may be some listeners who who would uh, push back on this, but Luke uh, chapter one, where he talks about com compiling an orderly narrative. It depends on your translation, how that's worded. I don't think that necessarily means chronological. Uh, Luke paints his whole structure as Jesus is on a journey to Jerusalem where he's going to be crucified. And so he is, we would say, wow, he's really changing the story. He's telling the story in, in an effectual way. He's not trying to tell it in uh, a, a chronological order necessarily. He's just telling it in some thematic chunks to make the point. So when you get to Luke 24, where he says, as they were talking, and then he said, and then he led them out as far as Bethany. Luke is summarizing things sometimes and just getting things to to, to the major plot points, I think. Um, so we look at stories a little differently than they looked at stories originally. I hadn't thought about Mary going twice. Um, that's it's interesting here, to go back and check. Here in John, because then it's the second time she goes that then she sees who she thinks is the gardener. Yeah. One, one thing that's interesting to me about this is there may be several different ways to reconstruct Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and make them harmonious. The important thing to know is that it can be done. And so people would say there are a lot of contradictions. Actually, if you're just patient about it, there are a number of different ways that all of these things can be congruous. And so we, we shouldn't just throw it out because it's a little bit different. I've got a couple of stories I tell about where I stayed when I first went to Prague in my first truck. And I can tell two or three very, very, very different stories. And if you know the actual story, you know how it all fits together. And if you don't know them, it seems very, very different. Uh, but when you know the whole thing. Yeah, it how you're going to tell it. Um, oh, there's some, so there's some Psalms that do that that way, right? Psalm 104. And Psalm 105 is about the wilderness wanderings. And one Psalm is about like how great God is. And he took care of us in the wilderness and he just loved us like a father. And the other Psalm is we were really rebellious kids and we just <laughs> didn't obey God at all. Uh, so it just depends on which Psalm you read yeah, yeah, yeah. to paint the picture. Yeah. Um, if you were talking about Luke uh, in, the, in the book of Acts, he focuses it. So it's, the book is, we call it the Acts of the Apostles is the full name. And as it's often been pointed out, it's some of the acts of some of the apostles. It's mostly about Peter in the first sections, mostly about Paul in the latter. And there's still lots that he doesn't tell because when Paul writes to the Romans, he talks about going as far as Illyricum. Uh, that's not in Acts. So we don't have all the details of it. All right, let's start. Anything on 16, 1 through 8 before we start talking about the second section uh no no i just how exciting this has suddenly shifted uh and so to, to think about this sudden shift in their circumstance very very exciting i like the verse in luke where he walks into the room and the door is shut he shows up into the room and they and, and he said don't be afraid it's me same thing he said when he walked on the water you know, they weren't expecting that. Right. And then it, it said, they disbelieved her joy. I like that phrase. And if you'll think about sometimes when you had fantastic news that you didn't expect, 
what we're often saying as we're being jubilant and rejoicing is, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. It's not that we're saying, yeah, it didn't happen. It's just we're having trouble processing because it had looked so bad. And then all of a sudden, you know, say you, you watched Jesus's body being taken down from the cross. And now you're talking to him again. You say, yeah, check out the nail It's like disbelief for joy. Yeah, it's especially after they've had the, the devastating news. Um, you know, so you think about they had hinged their lives on Jesus and then now that's over. And so they take a couple of days to kind of emotionally reset and they've buried him in their hearts. And now he's been raised from the dead. He's like, well, we've already buried you. So what, what do we do now? All right. Um, let, me, let me read 9 through uh, 13 here. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who'd been with him as they mourned and wept. When they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Uh, interesting little note here, verse 9, about Mary Magdalene, the seven demons. This is one of those notes that's not referenced anywhere else um, uh, in, in the Gospel of Mark. Um, but, but here it is. Um, just kind of why would this be put here unless it were true? And it's just hey you can you can check with her she's got the story um and then these two you mentioned luke 24 uh, in verse 12 i imagine these are the two on the road to emmaus and so mark has this story luke tells it a little bit further here uh, but so you have this disbelief kind of disbelief almost in joy and on mary magdalene and the seven spirits um this, so I'm not at all convinced that 920 is the original ending. I mean, 9 through 20. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's got a lot of information in here that didn't happen. But let's talk about the manuscripts for a minute. So our manuscripts, we know that there are some variations in some manuscripts. They're remarkably the same. A lot of the spellings, sometimes you'll hear people talk about how many thousands and thousands of variations there are. A lot of them are variations in spelling. Like if you look at the opening of Romans 1, uh, one has the son of David, one has the son of David, son of David. You know, just variations in spelling, variation in a pronoun, variation right. in the article. If you look at Isaiah 53 in the Masoretic text from about 1000 AD, and right. the Dead Sea Scroll, Great Isaiah text, almost 1,200 years earlier, there's, it's almost word for word the same. The main difference is that sometimes there's a the in one that's not in the other. Okay. Uh, the difference is instead of they made his grave with the wicked and a rich man in his death, uh, I think the great Isaiah scroll maybe says in a rich man in his tomb, which is really cool because completely different, right? Well, it's Joseph buried him in his own rich man's tomb. Yeah. Uh, 
so and now some books there's more variations like in jeremiah um, there's more variations in the new testament there are two sections where there's a substantial amount of text it's not in the earliest manuscripts right it's the sinful woman and that brought the adulterous woman brought before jesus in john 8. that's not in the oldest manuscripts and some manuscripts have it at the end of john and at least one manuscript has it in Luke. It right. may have happened, but it apparently wasn't originally right there in John. And, and if I remember correctly, it's not even in any of the Greek manuscripts, save one from like, what, the 11th century AD? Um, the, the woman taken in adultery? Yeah, I think that's right. You, you may be right, but I think it's in the majority of the Byzantine texts. Now, I could be wrong, but I think it's in the majority Byzantine texts. Okay. Um, but I, I could be mistaken on that. Uh, but this text ends four different ways in the manuscripts. If you spread out all the manuscripts, you've got some of the very oldest ones, and they end at verse 17. Then you've got the majority text, which is generally later. Uh, and they, although it would include some earlier texts, they have verses 9. Through 20. Then some have a shorter ending. It doesn't have all of 9 through 20. It's more like, you know, less than half this length. But it kind of summarizes this, but about half this length. And then one, which is Codex W, which is not real far from you, Justin. It's in the basement of the Smithsonian. I actually got to go see it one time. Uh, Jeff arranged and uh, with a curator and Paul Earnhardt and Jeff and I got to go down and dad and he showed us Codex W because it's in Washington W. Oh, well. uh, and it's got the longer reading plus an extra verse okay. where they say basically, well, yeah, he kind of, they're kind of approved for being so foolish and not understanding and they kind of beg mercy because well you have to understand you know we're, we live in a day of darkness or something like that so with the manuscripts that we have ending four different ways i don't press for that i know this one's the right one this one's the right one, this one's the right one, this one's the right uh, there's only two times in the entire new testament where a big section of text is like this we'll have like a smaller section like famous one in first John five, which was not in any of the Greek manuscripts. Before you know that. what? That's that's the text I'm thinking about that was not in any of the Greek manuscripts. I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah, the Erasmus didn't put that one in its um text of the Greek New Testament and his fellow Catholics were upset. You let that out. He said, well if you show me one manuscript that has it, I'll put it in. And they brought him one that they may have had to blow the ink dry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's the one I was thinking of. Yeah, and that, yeah. that gets a lot of we get really wrapped up in that because we we have our favorite passages to defend certain doctrines from. Even if you take that one out, you can still teach the Trinity from the Scriptures. Even if you take Mark sixteen sixteen out, again, I think it's original, but you can still teach belief in baptism. Yeah, you, can still, you can still teach those things. Uh, but this reference here might indicate that this wasn't originally there because Mark 
is perhaps the first gospel. And it's generally thought that that's so. I don't know that that's so. In the Gospel of John, which apparently is written last, he will repeatedly refer to things that are already known points. Right. He'll say, right. Uh, now this is before John was thrown in prison. And before right. he gets to Mary, the sister of Martha, watching Jesus' feet, he'll say, now there was, you know, uh, Lazarus, his sisters were Mary and Martha. That's the Mary that washed his feet. Right. Because his audience knows the story. Now later in the Gospel, he will tell the story. But he's talking to people about known things. Um, Mark had not, as I recall, mentioned these seven spirits, but it's in Luke. So in Luke chapter eight, it mentions, it introduces Mary Magdalene, uh, to also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities to Mary, from whom seven demons had gone out. Right. Uh, and so if if this is somebody's putting together some things that he knows from the other Gospels, um, perhaps. But let's let's continue to read now also, verse 14. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were playing at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who had seen him risen. And this is where Codex W adds, while we, we live in a kind of hardness, we live in a day of darkness or something like oh. that. And he said to them, go into all the world, I'm the gospel to the whole creation. Of course, we have that also in Matthew 28. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They'll cast out demons, they'll speak in their tongues, they'll pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. Uh, and where's the or something like this happened to the Apostle Paul. Yeah, in Acts 24, 25? 27. Okay. Or may, actually, maybe 20, might be the beginning of 28. But yeah, it's there on the island of Malta. He's going uh, to Rome. Uh, and they think he's going to die, and he doesn't. It will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then Jesus, after he'd spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Um, Luke has the ascension at the end of 24. Luke has the ascension at the beginning of Acts 1 and sat down at the right hand of God. Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, uh, sit at my right hand. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by a company of signs. Now, I almost want to like, okay, hands off here because we just talked about maybe this isn't original. Um, and you've mentioned there are some other readings here. Before we talk about the text, I think it's important for the listeners uh, to be confident in the Bible that we're reading. Because a lot of people say, oh, well, you're taking stuff out of the Bible. I think we have to appreciate the process that God used to make sure we had Bibles we could read. And by appreciating that process, it's not that we're taking the cover off and then you're seeing the machine and it's like, oh no, the magic's gone. No, it, it, it gives me more confidence that this is an accurate work because there've been a lot of people involved in this. There've been a lot of manuscripts, more manuscripts than any other ancient text by far. By far. How early they are, how multiple they are, how many different 
languages they're in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so there are variations in the manuscripts, but the thing is we know where they are. Uh, and, and so it's not that, oh, I don't know where the differences might be. No, we can number them generally because we know where the variations are. So when we're looking at a passage like this, again, it's rare. There's this there, one, John 8. Um, there's nothing in this text that can't be demonstrated and taught from other texts. Uh, and, and so I, I, I don't want the listeners to, to come away from this thinking, oh, I can't be confident in reading my Bible. Uh, would you have any words of helping people to be confident there? And, and it's like you said, so much of this is in the other text. And I'll, I'll, give, an, I'll give an illustration of this as well. Um, but first, so a lot of manuscripts have this. So perhaps this is the original ending Mark wrote. Some have a shorter version. Some have a, one has a slightly longer version and some don't have a few early ones, a couple of the most significant early ones. Um, and so I don't know for sure which one of those is correct, but the material here, as you said, and I'll give an illustration of this, and then we'll go through again and cite how many other passages where there is no manuscript variants say the basic same thing. Uh, so if Mark wrote it, he's saying things that the other gospel writers are also saying. If somebody from the other gospels is edited on an ending, it's things basically from, mostly from the other gospels. Uh, so years ago, there was a fellow wrote a really, really poorly researched article about the New International Version. Now, I don't like the New International Version. It was done by Calvinists, and it has a little bit of Calvinist tint, and they aimed more for readability than exact literalness, so it's not my favorite translation at all. But there was an article, and it was published, and it was really attacking the NIV. And the attack started off a lot on this. It said, now there's lots of good Bibles. So it said there's the King James, New King James, American Standard and New American Standard. You can use any of those. This is before the ESV. But don't use the NIV. It took out, and it started saying things that it took out. And like King James people, they say, it took out the name of Jesus a bunch of times. It took out the blood of Jesus. There's one passage where blood's in the King James, but not in the other manuscript. Right. Well, as time went by, the manuscripts expanded a little bit. And it could easily as happen as like this. You and I are scribes. And here's one manuscript, and it says Jesus. Here's a different manuscript that said Christ. And we've got to make a new manuscript. Christ Jesus. You want to go with Jesus? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so you put both of them. Right. Uh, one says the Lord. One says Jesus. Let's go with Lord Jesus. That doesn't mean that everything that says Lord Jesus, this is what happened. But the King James, the manuscript, later manuscripts of King James is on are fuller because of that. So you look at the older manuscripts and it didn't always say like the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe it said Jesus Christ or the Lord Jesus or Jesus. Well, so X number of times, the older manuscripts didn't actually have the word Jesus again. So the attack was made. They took, they're taking Jesus out of the Bible. Well, if you look at the ESV, 
which is based on lighter manuscripts. They were trying to take Jesus out of the Bible. They did a really bad job. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's still there. He's still there. Um, yeah. So one of the things he attacked was Acts 9. In the King James, it says, it is hard for you to kick against the goats. In Acts 9, I believe, verse 6. But that's not in Acts 9. It, it, it's not in Acts 9. It is in the King James. Right. And it is, I think, probably in, in the Texas Receptus. Um, and so he said, they took that out. Well, a fellow responded and he said, not a single Greek manuscript has, it's hard for you to kick against the goats in Acts 9. None of them do. Right. It's in Acts 22. Mm -hmm. When Paul retells it, he said, and he said to me, it's hard for you to kick against the goats. All the manuscripts have that in Acts 22. Right. None of the Greek manuscripts have it in Acts 9. But I think some Latin manuscripts had it in Acts 9 because somebody took it from 22 and put it back in the 9. It ended up in the King James. Right. And so then he's attacking the NIV. So watch this. He started off by saying, you can use the King James, the New King James, the American Standard, the New American Standard, but not the NIV. For one thing, the NIV took out its heart to kick against the goats. That's also not in the American Standard or the New American oh, Standard. Right. And and the New King James, I'm sure, has a footnote letting you right. know that it's not. So, I thought pointed out, it's not supposed to be in Acts 9 originally. The guy that wrote the article wrote back and he said, well, but you know, we know it's inspired just in Acts 22. Well, yeah, but you didn't need to act like somebody's ripping your Bible apart because they're going by the earlier manuscripts. Right. Of course, it was in Acts 2. It didn't become an untrue statement when a scribe moved it from 22 to 9, but it wasn't that Luke originally put it there. Luke originally wrote it in 22. Right. Yeah. And, and reading reading the King James Bible, if you can find an old copy of the King James Bible with the footnotes in it, you'll see that the translators would often struggle saying, there's this manuscript and this manuscript, so let the reader be careful. You know, we've done the best we can, and we can still be very confident that we've got an accurate copy of the Word of God. So, uh, so in no way should we come away from this thinking, well, because there's some uncertainty about this, we just can't know God's Word. No. God's given us the tools we need to know his word. The key, very interesting read, and you can find this online, Translator's Introduction to the King James. Yes. These, were, these were guys trying to do a good job, and they did a good job. Uh, yeah. With the manuscripts we had, they did a very good job. A few mistakes here and there, but they did a very good job. And one thing they had been criticized for was having footnotes. Because there would be like an animal or a stone, and they weren't sure what kind it was. And so they were like, is it an owl or an ostrich? And there's not enough in the context to tell. And so they'd go with one and they'd put in the margin the other one. And they were attacked. In six, back in the early 1600s, they were attacked for the marginal notes. They're saying, you're going to make people doubt the word of God. And they said, we're not inspired men. Right. right. We're not apostles. We're not inspired men. When we're not sure what the word is, we're going to put a margin there so that the reader will know. Yeah. All right. So with that, let's quickly 
go over and you've already done this sum. Uh, so in verse 14, did he appear to the 12th? Yeah. Um, did he tell them to go out at verse 15? Did he tell them to go out into all the world and proclaim the gospel? Yes. Matthew chapter 28. Uh, did he ascend into heaven? Yes. Verse 24, Acts 1. Yeah. Yeah, 24, Acts 1. Uh, did he appear to Mary Magdalene? Yes. Yeah. Mary, Rabbi, Rabboni. Uh, did the early apostles, were they able to survive snake bites? It would have hurt somebody else. Right. Yes. Yes. So uh, this is not a catastrophe. Right. It's one of two sections in the New Testament where there's a substantial text that, that is not in the oldest manuscripts. Yeah. But the story of the woman in adultery may have been an actual event that happened. Go ahead, Justin. Yeah. Yeah, it could, could be an actual event, just maybe not inspired telling there. One one thing that helps me here in verse 14, um, you know, Jesus rebukes these disciples for their unbelief and hardness of heart. That seems like a really odd inclusion here if this is just tacked on uh kind of haphazardly why would you why would you ever want um future potential converts to know that even the eyewitnesses themselves didn't initially latch on to jesus's resurrection uh, I, I think it's just one of those internal pieces of evidence that helps to verify these guys were not um quick to grasp at just shallow evidence for the resurrection jesus presented himself alive there was there was solid evidence there were many eyewitnesses they were careful and so as they're presenting the gospel not a one of them ever recanted and said you know what maybe it was a hallucination maybe we didn't really see jesus from the dead um you know i'll stop preaching every one of the eyewitnesses went to their grave saying that jesus rose from the dead and so that's one piece here in Mark 16. Um, and the idea in verse 20 that Jesus, even though he has ascended into heaven, that doesn't mean that he's he's reigning some way far off. He's still in verse 20, present with his disciples, helping to confirm the message there in the first century with the, the signs and wonders. Uh, he's very active in his church. And I, I think uh, not not in the same way, but Jesus is still active in his people, you know, helping his people to, to further the kingdom. Any other thoughts as we close up, Mark? Thank you, Justin. Been really helpful, Scott. Thanks so much. And for all those who are listening in, hope this has been a blessing to you. It's been really encouraging to me to think about the gospel of Mark and how we can be uh, excited about the gospel and then sharing it with others. Hope that you'll be uh, using this study to proclaim the gospel to your friends and neighbors and coworkers. So if you've got ideas for future studies, please let us know. Otherwise, uh, we'll be uh, throwing around some ideas uh, for next Tuesday. Hope you can join us then. Until then, God bless you.